Welcome to Saturday Strategy, the business show for the small and mighty. This is your host, Johnny Themans. Hi, welcome and thank you for joining us for this edition of Saturday Strategy, the original podcast for business owners who want to cut the crap and get the answers. I'm Johnny Themans and I'm your host and today we've got lots of information and uh, we'll, we'll put them all into the show notes so if you're driving or getting on with other stuff you'll be able to find them all there. Now technology moves on at a bewildering pace and uh, it's it's important for us to oh, do I say stay ahead of it I think that's probably a naive hope but at least try to keep up and in that effort to try and keep up we need to understand some of the terminology and one of those that's around a lot is the concept of AI or artificial intelligence and how that is currently affecting us and how it's going to affect us in the future is a mystery to many of us and um, probably something we need to understand if we're going to be able to take control and safeguard our technology development for our business or or whatever that is. Anyway, the point is uh, I've got somebody who knows what they're talking about on the show today to try and help us unpick it. So one of the challenges facing us as business owners is our is the control and the development of our systems, our IT systems, our software systems to enable our businesses to, um, if you like, grow effectively and be, be competitive in the in the medium and long term. And it can be baffling when you start. You only need to Google, you know, what what CRM systems are there available to me? And you will find that there are thousands of CRM systems available on the market. And to be able to choose the right ones is really difficult. And one of the things that's getting more and more complex is that we then hear about all of the, you know, the the artificial intelligence that's being built into things like Google and Facebook and the, the knowledge that they have and how they're controlling the market. And where that leaves us as small businesses can quite often make us feel like a little speck of dust in a vast universe of, uh, of information that we have little control over. And the challenge for us is to be able to try and find how we can, um, if you like, take the reins of that, that, that animal and try and, you know, try and get, gain some control over it within our own business and use it to, um, to our advantage. So, to try and unpick this a little bit, this is a big subject, by the way, so I'm not trying to uh, you know, do anything, but just to try and unpick this a little bit and, and develop a, a bit of a, a sort of a top level understanding of what we should be doing. Um, I've got a guest on today who, my goodness, um, his background is certainly interesting. David George um, was um, a he was a he was a Stanford scholar back in the late 80s. So this is over 30 years ago. Um, in, in California, studying a PhD in what at the time was computer science uh, and, and doing research into computer knowledge and its ability to solve problems, um, which I think is what is now called artificial intelligence. So he's very much a uh, he was very much a pioneer of uh, of, of that field. He uh, I mean, to put it in some context, he left he left Silicon Valley because this was before Silicon Valley was able to attract the finance available to do new startups. And he went off to South Africa to do his first startup and since then developed a number of businesses, which he successfully sold his most recent one in 2008 and then spent seven years sailing around the world um, and living the high life that a successful entrepreneur should do. And now lives uh, surprisingly in, in here amongst us in, in Shropshire, uh, living in Telford, but that's so he can be near to his family who who live here, which is 
which is probably where we all want to be. Um, David, welcome to Saturday Strategy, and thanks very much for coming in to help us understand all and get a head around this. Well, that's a um, super introduction. Thank you very much <laughs> for all of those complimentary comments. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here and try to try to help people um, get a better understanding of the technology. So, David, can we maybe just clear a bit of hype and misconception away from the whole field of it? When I think of artificial intelligence, I think of, you know, Star Wars and C-3PO and, you know, having conversations with robots. Um, but it's, it's not that, is it? Well, no. <laughs> no, no. Look, I mean, AI is definitely um, now a transformational um, technology. You know, we are way past the basic elementary R&D phases. And there are so many now practical examples of where it's been beneficial to business. Um, but one of the main challenges is that there is a general lack of awareness of what can and more importantly, what cannot be achieved. So a starting point would be to try and address, you know, some of the hype, um, you know, that, that, that there is surrounding uh, the technology at this particular point in time. A number of misconceptions and, you know, they go from one extreme uh, to the other. Um, generally, there's no concrete definition of AI still at this point in time, but there are definitely, um, uh, two camps. Uh, there's the weak and the strong um, AI proponents. And basically the strong AI proponents um, are, are believe that one day AI will supersede uh, uh, human being reasoning uh, capabilities. Well, I mean, a bit like Terminator type stories. Is that the sort of... Exactly. The, you know, the, the robots will rule the world um, that we see on, on, on sci-fi movies, uh, for example. Uh, and then you have the weak AI people that um, believe that um, there, are, there, there are methods now available to us that can be applied to solve everyday uh, problems in our personal and business lives uh, that can benefit us. And okay. so, you know, there's roughly, there's roughly a 60-40 split at the moment between, in academia between the strong and the weak AI people. Sorry, the weak and the strong. More mm -hmm. people believe, let's use it. Let's use what's emerging now to solve our problems. Um, and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to think about robots ruling the world and super intelligent machines down the line. Okay. So AI, David, where, where, I mean, is it here right now? Am I experiencing AI, you know, today? And, you know, have I, have I used it today? Yes, you have. You've, you've been exposed to it. Everyone is being exposed to it now on a, on a constant basis, whether we realize it or not. I'll just give you a quick, my definition quickly to, to provide a little bit of context. AI, artificial intelligence, really deals with the creation of systems that can learn to emulate human tasks using acquired knowledge um, and prior experience without any manual intervention. So that's really what we're trying to do with artificial intelligence. We're trying, we're trying to endow machines of one form or, or, or another with human reasoning and decision-making capability. That's yeah. what we're trying to do. And I suppose in there, was that, was that emulating human, the ability to learn, I think is what you're saying in there, is that the? Well, one of the things that humans can do is learn. Now, learn, learning in artificial intelligence is, 
a relative, given that AI goes back, you know, to the 1950s, <laughs> which is where it started um, in, in the 1950s. Um, so when I say recent, that might be somewhere between five and 10 years. Um, that's recent in the AI space. Learning is relatively recent compared to storing human know-how about how to solve a problem and then applying that know-how through, 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 through an algorithm to give us um, a simulation or an emulation of how, of, how, of how a human expert in a field would, would, could make a decision. And typically, the early day examples of these would be automating um, the application for a loan from a bank. You know, whereas where at one time you had to fill in the form, that form would then go to a, to a human expert who would then look at all the details on the form and then give a yes or a no answer. Okay. Um, and that, those were the first types of human reasoning focused uh, um, uh, systems that were put in place using what we called in those days expert systems. And they were called expert systems because we had managed to encode the human know-how of an expert in such a way that, that an algorithm could, could, could follow that process. I mean, I imagine, I imagine listeners at home are just are now imagining the, uh, the little Britain scene with the uh, computer says no type impression. That, that's, that's, I suppose that's just bad artificial intelligence, isn't it? Oh, at, that, it at, at its best, I assume we don't even notice it's happening. Well, absolutely. And there are a number of, of, of controversies about, about artificial intelligence. I mean, very recently, uh, Cambridge University has introduced a master's degree level program for eth artificial intelligence ethics. There's no really, you know, in, in the same way as medical practitioners have the Hippocratic Oath, there's nothing, of, there's nothing similar governing, governing artificial intelligence. And and it's become quite critical now that, that something happens about controlling um, how artificial intelligence is used uh, um, and the motivations for, de for deploying it. Yeah, of course. I mean, there have been the, I suppose there have been the big things in the news. Would, would all of the stuff around Cambridge Analytica and the manipulation of data by Facebook and stuff, would that, would that have been artificial intelligence driving those type of problems? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Um, Cambridge Analytica were definitely using um, AI techniques. At the very least, they were using very superior predictive analytics um, techniques. I've got no doubt there was some, some AI there. Just to go back to the learning, yes, the learning is, is now an important feature of artificial intelligence, learning from data. And one of the reasons why AI has re really exploded in the last few years, there's really been threefold. It's, uh, one is we've had serious improvements in hardware performance. So algorithms that, that researchers were experimenting with 15 years ago couldn't actually be used in a practical way because we didn't have hardware powerful enough to do all of the necessary processing. Now we do have. I mean, when we think about the fact that our phones have got more processing power than the original uh, moon landers, uh, gives us an, uh, you know, an idea of, of what, how performance has improved. The other big area is data. Now we learn from our practical experiences uh, that's one of the ways that, that we learn. Um, and, and, uh, and data can provide insights into practical experiences. And if that data can be processed and structured and processed in a way, then, then, then algorithms can actually learn from, from the data. And the okay. concept of big data now, we've got so much data now and so much new data being produced on an hourly basis that mm. the algorithms can learn a lot and can learn quite quickly. Yes, I was, um, we had Phil Chambers, uh, who's a memory expert, 
on this show a couple of episodes ago. And he came up with a stat. I think it's 95% of everything that's ever been written down in the history of man has been written down since the Second World War. Right, right. You know, and I mean, it's, it's ex- the growth in data is exponential now. It's just amazing how, how, how it's growing. Um, however, what we need to, the first, the first thing we need to just get a little basic elementary understanding of is the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence. And insofar as learning is concerned, it's the machine, that's part of machine learning. Now, machine learning is a very important enabler for, for, you know, for, a, for, for, a, for, more, for, for AI that is more reasoning um, oriented. There's no real reasoning taking place in, in, in the machine learning algorithms, but, but the, the machine learning algorithms can process enormous amounts of data and give us classifications and predictions, which can then be input into the more reasoning focused um, algorithms of, of, artificial, of artificial intelligence. Okay, so give me an application of how one of the big companies is maybe using this or, or how, how large organizations are using this. You know, we, we, we were talking about, you know, the ethics um, uh, and pros and cons and where, where, there are, where there are some conflicts now with respect to and controversies with respect to, say, privacy. You've got organizations like Facebook and the Googles of, of, and the Twitters of, of, of this world that know an enormous amount about each one of us whether we voluntarily donated our data, which many of us will do because we believe we'll get a, we'll get a return on that, on, on, on that investment. Um, but, but what we don't necessarily understand or, or appreciate is how that data is being, is being harvested and, and, um, and monetized in, in many other ways. Um, so uh, we need, we need uh, better controls o- uh, over that. Uh, and that's why the, the EU, for example, um, and the British government, uh, for example, are, are introducing legislation to control, better control how our data is, is, is being used and exploited. Yes, that's <laughs> um, GDPR, yeah. And, monet- and monetized. It goes, yes, it goes beyond GDPR. Um, quite one of, the, one of the most pervasive um, uh, uses of, of, of AI are, are, are in the realm of what we call recommenders. Um, and we're exposed to recommenders all the time. Amazon recommender, Netflix recommender, you know, for movies, Spotify recommender for, for, um, for, for music. They're, They're not always bad though, are they, David? I mean, you know, as we speak now, we're just about Christmas in, uh, in 2020. And I, I just on my Spotify yesterday morning came up with uh, my favorite tunes from 2020 and it was a playlist and I put it on and it was fantastic. It was, it really was all my favorite stuff. It was, it was really good. And some of it I hadn't listened to, you know, cause they, they put some other things in there and, you know, so it isn't necessarily an evil thing, is it? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, there are statistics that show, you know, that, um, that, I mean, for example, Netflix, Netflix value their recommender at over a billion dollars a year. Sorry, that, could, you, could you explain that? Yes, it, uh, they value it at a billion dollars a year because something like seventy percent of the of the of the of of the uh, of the movies or TV shows purchased are as a direct result of what the recommender has suggested to a to a customer. Wow! 
So there is great faith in, in this particular technology. And as you said, it's, it's, it can be absolutely um, uh, very valuable to us as, as, as users of those systems. Where it goes wrong is that the more it learns about you behind the scenes, that data is being harvested and sold to marketing companies and advertisers so that they can track you they understand more about what your interests are and then they can target you with advertising that you haven't necessarily given them the direct permission to do. Okay. Okay. Well, we have. And as I say, this we have, but, not, but unknowingly. I beg your pardon, Johnny? I say we have, but unknowingly. Unknowingly, yes. And, yes. and, and that's what the, for example, the new EU legislation, which will be coming into effect in the next few months, is designed to, to get better control over. Okay. Okay. So, David, you were talking there about, you know, huge increases in computing power, big computers, um, PhDs. I think when we were talking about this setting, um, you know, before, the, before we actually started put, hit the record button here, I think, did, how many PhDs did you say are currently being sponsored by Google? Well, they have 350. So 350 research PhDs into artificial intelligence currently yes. happening. Working within, working within various Google operations. Mm. Yeah. And you hear about projects like their, their, big, their big computer called DeepMind, I think, isn't it? Which is an enormous project, which, you know, and, and all of these things. The, the, the thing that jumps out at me is, number one, as a small business owner here in Shropshire, you know, we're, we're tiny. We're just a speck of dust, like I said in the introduction of this universe. How do, what, what does this mean to me? Because everything there is it's big money, it's big brains, it's, it's long-term strategies, all, you know, these are sort of luxuries that I find uh, probably out of reach as the owner of a small business um, or seemingly out of reach. How, how do I bring that all the way back into a sharp focus that means something to me? Well, I think the first thing, uh, Johnny, is that you, you mentioned DeepMind. DeepMind was originally a UK um a small UK startup business that uh, that was actually bought <laughs> bought by by Google, um, okay. and, that, and they are the biggest player at this point in time in in, in the deep learning space. Um, fantastic developments um, that, that are coming out of them, and of course being used um, by Google in their own in their own products, which we which we can come on to just now. But in terms of um, how do we as small business owners, well, in fact, in the micro side of things. It's pretty difficult, you know. If if you're a micro business with half a dozen, you know, people, you know, uh, trying to get through your growth, it, it it's actually difficult to get hold of um, to get hold of um, AI that 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 will give you an immediate advantage. But in terms of generic roles of AI in micro and small to medium sized uh, businesses, the, the generic areas where they're being used are in helping a business better understand their target audiences, uh, for example. So AI can be used to reduce manual processes, save time by segmenting, you know, large amounts of data from multiple sources, even if one of those sources is only your emails or, or even um, voice recorded conversations with, 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 with new customers or, or, or existing, existing customers. And then, Identifying sort of qualified leads, you can maybe better qualify your leads. You know, one of the things you could be doing, for example, is, is and, some, and some software as a service businesses are providing, um, are providing these facilities to, to small business, is you can be analyzing um, uh, 
anything that's on Twitter, anyone that may have met, uh, tweeted about your business saying they've had a great experience, you know, that can actually be, 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 be harvested um, and you can actually learn to understand what people are saying about your business. Are they saying positive things about your business or a product that you provide? Are they saying negative things? Are they happy? Are they satisfied, dissatisfied? You can get great insights from that type of uh, using AI for that type of, of approach to understand what's happening in the market space. Yeah. You can also then use that to, to do competitive analysis. You know, I mean, that, that data is in the public domain and you can actually, you'd be able to find out what people are saying maybe about a competitor that you have. And that will help, help you maybe change some of your tactics or your, or your business focuses. Yeah, I mean, I think I think just in terms of things like um, identifying your keywords, you can use is it Moz? Um, I forget the name of the program now, but there's a program, isn't there? You can you can put your keywords into it, and then it'll go and search everything else, and it'll find your competitors. It'll tell you what the other keywords are, and it does all the it does all the research and the thinking for you. It does a lot of that. Yes, I mean, I mean, in terms of you know search engine optimization techniques, you know where keywords are really important to help you get to the get to the top of the Google list, you know, so that people will be able to find you on Google, uses exactly those, those ideas. The, the, the very interesting thing is, I'm just diverting a little bit now from the generic role for small and, and medium-sized businesses, but, but the, the interesting thing about that is that the big organizations like Google, um, it, it was in the press recently that, um, that Google's DeepMind operation, which you mentioned earlier, has just spent more than a billion, a billion dollars um, on, on, on their own internal uh, research and development programs. You know, I mean, they're doing quite amazing, quite amazing things. But anyway, to, just to, to, get, to get back to... Uh, so a billion dollars to, on research, that's a big research project, isn't it? Well, they're massive, but they're, but they're focusing on numerous areas. I mean, one of the areas where AI has been particularly successful um, over and above the natural language processing, which, which, which we've mentioned, the ability of, of Siri, for example, or Alexa to actually understand what you're saying. Uh, that's, that's been you know, fantastic developments in voice recognition um, over the recent years, but also in image processing. You know, we have a situation now where it's been proven and, and, and verified by certain medical authorities that um, AI techniques are, are performing better than experienced radiologists in, in, in understanding where, you know, um, lung cancer uh, problems in, you know, from, from, from x-ray images. Hmm. So, and is that, is that because, why, why, why do you say better than, because I presume they've had to learn the information from humans. Is it, is it because? Well, that's come, that's obviously come from analyzing millions and millions of x-rays more more than more than a radiographer could hope to do in a lifetime exactly right down to the pixel level Mm. and they've been trained to recognize you know what what are you know they've been turned to to recognize what the markers you know for for that a radiologist would be looking for a skilled radiologist would be looking for as you know looking for for signs of of, of lung cancer for example so they've been trained by analyzing as i say millions upon millions of of images and okay. can now perform tirelessly and consistently 
having recognized those patterns, they then go through a pattern matching. There are two aspects. There's the pattern recognition in the first place, which is learning to recognize a pattern that is indicative of some condition. And then there's the pattern matching aspect, which allows you to recognize, you know, match that pattern and then come to a, a conclusion based on that matching. So they're doing, they're doing absolutely, you know, fantastic things. But the point I really wanted to make was, to, was that um, all the research that's going on in organizations like Google, who, who are foremost uh, um, along with say, you know, Microsoft and, and IBM, they, is that they're making all of these new techniques open source. And that okay. means that they're free, you know, you can, you, can, you, can, you can get to understand how they're working and the, and the AI that's built into them. Um, and if you, if you have enough knowledge, then you can, you can get these from an open source platform and try to use them. Otherwise, they, why do they make them free? Sorry? Why do they make them free? Well, I think, I think it's, you know, the, the concept of open source has also been around for a number of years, but people used to keep their, their software algorithms as trade secrets thinking, no, this is where we get our competitive edge from, you know, so we're not going to give this away to anybody, we're going to keep it. But actually, when, when some of the first companies that decided to do this learned that instead of having to employ another 350, you know, uh, people to work on solving a problem internally, if they could open source the ideas and some of the code that goes with that, they can all of a sudden now, with the internet being available to billions of people, they can now suddenly get... 350,000 extra people to make a contribution to the development of that. Okay, so David, I mean, we're kind of pretty much running out of time here, but if I sum this up a bit, what you're saying here is that the big companies are doing the thinking for us, they've got the brain power there and they're making the tools available for us to access every day. So that things like Google Analytics and stuff, we can, we can access as a micro business even, we can access AI today, right here, right now, through these tools into our business? Yes, we can. And it doesn't mean that you have to implement them in-house yourself. I mean, there are a number of now software as a service types of businesses. There are businesses now that where, where you can actually, for example, just to do your own internal bookkeeping. There are companies now you know, that will provide you with, with, with systems that will completely automate all of your bookkeeping, all you do is submit your is submit your 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 transactions to them, and then they do the rest. Give them your bank account details and and details, you know, and they and they will do absolutely everything. Maintain your 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 books in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles, and make all of the necessary submissions to to the authorities and HMRC uh, in a format that complies to exactly what they want, and they are using very smart um, uh, AI-enabled uh, um, uh, software algorithms to achieve those tasks. And there are other software-as-a-service uh, businesses that will do that analysis we spoke about. You know, they'll analyze what might be being said about your business on Facebook you know, by your customers or what might be tweets that might be, be, be being broadcast about your business that will analyze them and help you with lead generation and help you refine your business practices. Brilliant. So, David, tell us a bit about what you're up to these days. Then, what's 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 your what's keeping you busy? Well, I had an idea in the recommender space. There, there are there are a couple of um, 
a couple of things I don't necessarily agree with about uh, about the current crop of recommenders as good as they are. Um, and um, one of them is one of them is in order the algorithms that they're using in in the Amazon space, for example, and the Spotify and the Netflix space, which are the gold standard at this point in time, no doubt about it. It is that is that you have to sort of register with them and you have to give them a lot of information about yourself. So before they can make a recommendation for you, they have to know a lot about you and a lot about lots of other people, <laughs> um, you know, to, to try to define your taste to make a sensible recommendation. Um, they don't cater for like an anonymous user. I mean, I don't, I don't use Netflix. So if I was to go onto Netflix, it wouldn't be able to give me a recommendation because it doesn't know anything about me. Um, you know, so I couldn't get a recommendation at all. The other, the other area where, where I believe there's a shortcoming that I, I would like to address is, is in the area of ex, what we could now calling explainable AI. And that is that most of the AI is, is encompassed within what, what, what are termed black boxes. And not even the original developers of the AI algorithms actually know how the black box is working. Um, and so I've always had the view that if I'm going to make a recommendation or make a suggestion or take an automated decision about something, then it needs to be able to explain the basis of its decision to you so that you can actually agree with it. Okay. And uh, so I'm working, I've, I've now built what I call a choice engine, which I believe to be sort of a next generation example of a, of a recommender which does cater for anonymous users. It doesn't need to know anything about you um, uh, or any of your personal details. Um, it only needs to know about factors of something that are important to you and how important they might be relative to each other. So, um, and, and it does give you um, an explanation and a justification for why it makes a specific recommendation. Okay, okay. And what, what applications are you recommending for this? Well, I've got um, two on the go at the moment. Uh, one, one is for online shopping. Um, for example, you know, you want to buy a smartphone um, and, you, and you log on to, to, to uh, a consumer electronics, um, an online consumer electronics um, shop and you, you're sort of browsing around at, you know, which smartphone is the best one for me. Uh, you, 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 get, you get a few, maybe a few hundred <laughs> smartphones <laughs> In, in, in an online catalog uh, presented to you. And then you have to look through all of the specifications and look at the price and how many, what's the pixels of this camera and which one's got this and which one's got that. And the human brain is great at doing many things, but it's not good at conjuring and memorizing all of those, all of those specifications. We tend to get lost if we're trying to, if we're trying to make a decision of up to say 10 options each one of those options having six or seven decision factors that are important to us. So, so I'm looking at, at addressing that uh, and then having, having, and then asking you, well, what's important? Is the camera important to you? Is the camera more important than the memory size, et cetera? That depends on what you want to do. If you want to play games on your phone or listen to music or watch videos or just use it as an email device, then, uh, you know, uh, or as just an old fashioned telephone, then, uh, then your your the level of importance of certain features is is more or less in, um, influential in making a final in making a final decision. So I analyze that based on what you tell me about the level of importance, and I will then rank 
all of the competing phones and then tell you which one is the best and the reason why it's the best. Brilliant. Sounds, sounds terrific, Dave. How do people find out more about you? Is there a website we can look at this stuff or can we got, drop you an email? I've got, have got a demonstration website and, and a LinkedIn uh, profile. And the business is called Choice Master. Probably the best way, though, would be just to contact me, you know, on, on my on my business email address. Okay. Okay, well, we'll put all the we'll put all those links into the into the show notes. And uh, and David, it's been it's been fascinating eye opener. Um, I always love spending time with you because um, it expands the mind and challenges the mind every time, and uh, uh, and and then somehow makes a bit of sense as well, which is which is enlightening. So thank you very much for your time today. It's absolutely my pleasure, and I and I hope I didn't ramble too much, you know, and and that it did make some sense and and and, and can be helpful to to people that listen to the podcast. Thanks very much, Jen. Thank you. So thank you, David, for um, illuminating us. Uh, that's the end of this episode. Thanks very much for sticking with us to the end. Uh, if you've got any feedback, you can reach out to me and contact me on WhatsApp using 07977 437 360. And that's my personal mobile number, so it'll definitely get through. Thanks again. Until next time. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to hear more, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts.